Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Fits on Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And find my articles and my fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com. Holy shit, people. I am still trying to come to grips with the trade that sent Odell Beckham Jr. to the Cleveland Browns. Holy hell. What a move for the Browns. Do you remember when NFL teams rarely made trades of any consequence? It wasn't that long ago. We would see big deals in the other professional sports leagues all the time, but there would rarely be big deals in the NFL. Perhaps these types of blockbuster trades will become more common now, and let's hope so. They are fun as hell. First of all, congratulations to any long-suffering Cleveland Browns fans who happen to be listening to this podcast. No, you haven't won anything yet, but yes, your team is relevant again, and it is really exciting. I suspect that when the NFL schedule is released, the Browns are going to have a boatload of primetime games, and they should. This team is going to be so much fun to watch. And they are going to win. It might take a year to consolidate all the talents, but this team is going to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender, possibly as early as this year and definitely by 2020, I would think. But back to you, Mr. and Mrs. Cleveland Browns fan. I can relate to what you're going through. I grew up watching some absolutely horseshit Green Bay Packers squads in the 1970s and 80s. Yes, I'm old. Seriously, go and do a Google search of the Packers record by year and check out that gruesome two-decade dry spell in the 70s and 80s. That was the team I spent my youth cheering for. Well, at least the latter 1970s Packers. But then in the early 90s, the Packers signed Reggie White and traded for Brett Favre, and soon everything turned around. And Browns fans, you deserve the same sort of turnaround. I sincerely hope that Baker Mayfield can be your Brett Favre and that Odell Beckham Jr. can be your Reggie White. Okay, I know, not perfect parallels by any stretch, but you get the points. Hey, no matter which team you cheer for, and even if you don't give a damn about any NFL team except just your fantasy team, I am very happy to have you here with me, and I'm going to be joined on this episode by a very special guest, Josh Hermsmeyer of 538. He is, without a doubt, one of the sharpest, most innovative football analysts out there, and I cannot wait to talk to him. In fact, 
I was supposed to talk to Josh on Tuesday night, but then the Odell Beckham trade went down about an hour before Josh was scheduled to record with me, and he had to postpone because his editors at 538 asked him to write something about the trade. But I'm just glad Josh was able to reschedule, and now I am very eager to talk to him about this epic deal and some other subjects. Boy, oh boy, people, if there was any doubt that the NFL is the king of the sports jungle, this week should lay those doubts to rest. We are almost exactly six months away from the start of the NFL season. The NBA and NFL playoff chases are heating up. March Madness is about to get underway. MLB is about to get underway. And yet, NFL roster shuffling is absolutely dominating American sports news. All right, it's time to bring in this week's guest. I am very excited to talk to this week's guest. He recently joined the elite team of analytical Green Berets at 538. He is also the Icarus of Air Yards and a colorful presence on Twitter. Find him there at Frisco Josh, Mr. Josh Hermsmeyer. So glad you could drop by, drop by. Hey, thanks for having me on, Pat. I, uh, I, you know, I, I like how you described me on on Twitter as, uh, yeah, that, that's good. I, the persona on Twitter, I think, is, is probably my favorite part of this whole process. It's just a ton of fun to tease people, poke them a little bit, troll them. Um, I get a lot of I get a lot of uh, value, and you put so much time and effort into being analytical. And, you know, be right minded and and fair in your analysis. And <laughs> well, we'll we'll definitely get into that. But it's nice that you have thick skin compared to some of the uh, I think some of the more uh, numbers based analysts tend to have you know, thinner skin when they get questioned. You are uh, you have fun with it, which is nice. So. All right, Josh, I suppose we have to talk about the Odell Beckham trade since you were summoned from the bullpen last night by your editors at 538 to write about this momentous deal between the Browns and Giants. So par for the course, uh, Giants general manager Dave Gettleman pretty much got pantsed on this one, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, I even think that the the, uh, Giants uh, front office admitted as much. They said this was a bad football move, but, you know, Odell Beckham is such a pain in the ass that it makes it worthwhile to us uh, to get him out of the building, which wild to me. Um, I mean, the the job of a coach is to manage personalities and make cohesion uh, between uh, uh, all the different parts of the team. Um, Why can't the front office get out of their own way and and, and allow room for Stellar, one of the best wide receivers ever? And then why don't they, why can't they get out of the way enough to allow that guy, Um, which by most accounts is, a genuinely nice guy, um, you know, emotional, obviously, but I mean, that, that kind of emotion, that kind of buy-in is, is probably what you want. So, uh, yeah, no, I Gettleman, Gettleman got pants, not just because, um, uh, he can't, can't seem to deal with these players. Uh, you know, he needs, not only they have to be his type of plus be his type of system I and mean, it has to be his way. You know, it, it's this bizarre thing where, uh, you know, they've, they've been overcommitted to Eli Manning. I guess Mara won't allow him to be, they won't allow him to be let go, even though it's going to help him with cap and help them move on and rebuild quicker. Um, I think they would save $10 million if they let go of him in the next few weeks, and they're not going to do it. They're going to hold on to him. So just bizarre, bizarre way to run uh, an organization. The, yeah, the, the actual trade itself, and I wrote an article about it on 
check it out. It, uh, but basically, I talked to uh, the guys at Pro Football Focus, um, Eric Eager, and I asked them to kind of use their wins above replacement model to kind of give me values for each of these guys and then the picks as well. And it was just no contest. It was like in the first year, Odell Beckham with the Browns will earn, if he continues along his path, he's averaged two wins above replacement. So in his first year with the Browns, he will earn more wins than the entire package that uh, the Browns sent for him. On top of that, um, the Giants are going to be eating like 16 million being him. So just a, just a terrible, terrible trade, uh, New York's perspective. Yeah, your article is definitely worth checking out. Uh, what what was the headline? Was it did the Giants just uh, make the Browns Super Bowl contenders? Something to that effect. Isn't that wild to even like have that come out of your mouth at this point? <laughs> it really the is, Browns man. But uh, Super Bowl contenders. You know they've been in the weeds for so long, though, that it was really cool if they actually could make this happen. You know, maybe they need a year to consolidate all the talent, but uh, the talent is there at least. And uh, so you, you kind of looked at it from a, you know, a gain perspective, uh, strictly a, you know, football wins perspective, but obviously you're a a fantasy guy too. And, um, you know, certainly this is a quarterback upgrade for Odell. Do you think this fundamentally changes his fantasy value or just sort of an incremental boost to an already impactful player? Yeah. George uh, hurry. He tweeted something out last instructive and I think would kind of go toward um, making you feel pretty bullish about Odell Beckham's value in the upcoming season. And it was this 50% of Odell Beckham's targets last season from Eli Manning were in frame. So accurate enough that he could catch the ball and continue. Yeah, I was worst in the league and uh, Baker Mayfield, he was fourth best. So, um, you know, that right there, that accuracy, up it's got to help. You know, when you get more accurate passes and you get him um, in stride and you're a guy with the talent of Odell Beckham, uh, you're probably going to do some damage. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hugely bullish Odell Beckham this year. I mean, and, and, and that's just one facet of it. The entire offense looks to be primed to be super dangerous. Um, uh, Joku is, is still really good uh, from the tight end position. And then not only that, but, uh, you know, he's reunited with his LSU teammate, Jarvis Landry. So I, I think that there's a lot of weapons here in this offense, um, not to mention um, that I think it's going to keep uh, defenses off balance, you know, a guy like Ode. Yeah, there are all these other related fantasy questions that spring from this deal. And uh, I'm not asking you to answer all these, but I'll rattle off a few of them, you know, and feel free to chime in on any or all of these. Uh, but when I was looking at my 2019 player rankings today and trying to figure out where to move some of the pieces, you know, should I should I be moving Ezekiel Elliott into the top spot ahead of Barkley now that the Giants are circling the drain and aren't going to be scoring many touchdowns? Uh, how much higher can Baker Mayfield be moved up when I already had him at QB8 pre-Beckham? Um, does, does this do even more to throttle the fantasy value of... Jarvis Landry than even Ryan Tannehill could. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of dominoes falling with this. You know, does anything? Yeah, I would say of those, and and, and I am a Jarvis Landry stand, so don't get me wrong here. I know, <laughs> I knew that coming in, but but I don't think this hurts him, and, and and the reason why is now he can be the guy he needs to be. Um, and I think you know with him being freed up, um, not not being that wide receiver one on the team anymore. Um, he can be that guy he was at LSU. You know, he caught more passes and he was hugely productive. He was more, he had more yards. 
So I think there's there's an opportunity here for him to be the guy that he the best version of himself. And and maybe he won't get a 40 targets, um, but he could still rack up maybe the most yards. So, Josh, you were just in Indianapolis for the NFL scouting combine and for the concurrent MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. What an epic trip that must have been. I actually didn't go to MIT. Um, I stayed in Indianapolis for the entire week. What there was while I was there was the inaugural Big Data Bowl, NFL Director of Analytics. I didn't actually make it, uh, um, but I, I'm, I don't, I don't want to say I didn't miss anything. There was definitely some people I wanted to meet on Kevin Cole, uh, some other folks I wanted to meet, but I, I was fortunate enough to, to some people came down after have breakfast with them and or dinner or whatever it was. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I missed out too terribly much. And I certainly, if you had to choose between going to Indy and it sucks that you have to, if you're an analytics guy, that's lame. And I don't know why Maury and the rest of them have it scheduled during the middle of combine week on purpose who knows but um frustrating in that regard but if i had to choose again it would still be go it, it is the nfl's yearly convention case that everyone's there oh no no i feel bad i uh, for some reason i i thought conference in itself but it was some sort of satellites not necessarily related to mit so it, was- I, it was focused solely on football so i there was only one paper presented and it was by my dad brian burke uh at espn um, you know, the guy who actually coined the term air yards, but he, 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 he pre- uh, presented a paper there and, and, but that was the only paper on football. Whereas down here in Indy at the big data bowl, there was uh, six of them. Um, no, 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 pardon me. There was eight of them. Um, four of them, uh, four of them, I believe by undergraduates and look at all that. And it was all, almost all of it was nice on, on behalf of all the other mouth breathers like myself who would have gotten the bums rush for getting within a hundred feet of the big data ball. What was the vibe at that event? Like it was cool. Um, Cynthia Freeland, Freeland. She's the, uh, Oh, of NFL network. Yeah. She was the MC and, uh, and the presenters were, were decent. They kept it short. There were a bunch of analytics people there from each team. And then they went into the next room and they had uh, posters. I think eventually I'm going to do an article of their research. Um, but, uh, things have been a little crazy with uh, free agents. Now, the other thing about your trip, I'm dying to hear about how in the hell did you end up drinking with Sean Payton? Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, it's a little hazy to be honest, but, uh, we, we were at Harold and, and then they kicked us out or 1130 or midnight. Is that right? I can't recall. We ended up going to another bar and this was the bar where everyone goes for the, uh, at some point we just, uh, me and Evan, uh, the PFF guys, I think Warren Sharp was there and we were just, yeah, we were just at the bar and there was Sean Payton and we started chatting with him, Alvin Kamara and stuff like that. It was, it was interesting. He's a good guy. He's, he's like, he's a real one. I had heard from mutual acquaintances. He's a guy that you'd want to hang out. Yeah, that's really now, before we move on from the combine, I got to ask you about the article that Wright Thompson wrote for ESPN. Uh, this is an oversimplification, but Thompson's takeaway seemed to be that the combine is a massively overblown dog and pony show. Uh, but the part of that article I want to ask you about is this little passage. And I quote, an NFL team on the field is an organism, which is why baseball style analytics don't work, end quote. Boy, Josh, you sure have wasted a lot of time trying to measure and quantify these analytically impregnable organisms. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what he meant. I literally can't parse that. 
Um, some people have, oh, jumped in my mentions and, and done their best and I just don't buy any of it. It, it. The idea that you need a batter pitcher battle and that anything more complex just can't possibly be put into tease apart what uh, nonsense. And, uh, and it, I think really what it was doing was he was parroting back maybe a drunken conversation he had with telling him. Um, it was his first time at the combine, mine first time too. I think he needed to write a piece and he did and he went a little gonzo with it. Um, uh, and I would say that overall his impressions aren't completely separate from mine. I mean, the, it is a convention, but if you went in thinking that there was some, you know, incredible, you know, incredibly important thing that was happening with on this field or that the media sessions were actually going to be insightful and things that mattered, um, by and large, you would have been disappointed, but, um, I caught onto that Monday. Um, I mean, it was just, it was just the case that um, this is a, this is just one of those things where people come. Most of the interesting stuff happens in the halls in the bars and the, um, and uh, if you uh, combine, um, you know, there were a couple news items that came out of it. I believe Howie Rosen, Nick Foles at the combine. I was there for that. So that was interesting. Um, I did for fantasy purposes. There was lots of good, stuff. uh, some of the GMs, um, talking about, you know, future usage. There was stuff. There was stuff there that made the call mine worthwhile. Uh, missed my family. A week was too long to be gone. I'm too old to be drinking every. So it. it- now, uh, as we record this episode, we're in the midst of a flurry of announced free agent deals. But uh, among the players changing teams, obviously Antonio Brown was a big one, and that was part of another trade. And you also wrote about that one for five thirty eight. How Brown might fit in with the Raiders. Uh, what were the takeaways on how a David Carr, Antonio Brown marriage might work out. It's really going to come down to if um, Gruden is going to scheme deep passes, passing offense. And it was the case that they he took many of them out. I mean, they only threw nine go routes all out. And that's down by well over 50% from the year prior before. Um, so it's not the case that David Carr can't throw deep. I mean, he has before and he's done okay. He's basically an league average quarterback, um, maybe slightly worse. Um, but he just wasn't asked to last year and it paid off in certain respects. Uh, it was the first year ever that David Carr actually had a completion percentage over expected in the positive. So in other words, if you took every pass he attempted at each depth and you compared it to league average, he did slightly better than league average points. No, it was three, three percentage points of completion percentage over expected. That's quite good. Um, so it wasn't just the case that, uh, David Carr was, throwing short passes that are easily completed. And he was puffing up his completion percentage, which was the highest of his career, almost 70%, um, with uh, empty, empty. Compl- he was actually doing pretty good at those. short. So the question is, are they going to continue with that West Coast style of sh- uh, slants and, and curls and, you know, in-breaking routes? Um, are they, you know, short, shorter of the field? Uh, or are they going to start to stretch? Because that's what I'm really good at. He caught four touchdowns on gum. He's really good on the outside um, with outs. He's reasonable on seams over his career. He just hasn't been out. Um, And one of the things I speculated on in the article was that, you know, it's probably some combination of Juju being bigger and stronger and taller and all the rest and maybe more willing to go over the middle um, because that's where he lived last. Juju was, you know, making those seam, seam route catches. He was making those over the middle. And Antonio was more short area, and then deep along the sidelines. And um, uh, and maybe last year especially that had to do it being maybe more of a dis, uh, business decision for you. 
where he didn't want to go across the middle uh, because he knew he was done. And um, so you would probably want uh, you'd probably want Antonio to start doing some more of those, you know, uh, living over the middle a little bit more again. Uh, for the Oakland Raiders because David Carr's the best. Um, but you also want to see Gruden ask, uh, open up that offense and scheming uh, some deeper routes. Boy, and you would think that would have, have to be the plan now that they've got not only Antonio Brown, but Tyrell Williams, who just signed. Well, he could be a he could be a decoy. He could be a Sammy Watkins decoy and just stretch the f- and then open things for Antonio. So maybe that's what we'll happen. Yeah, I kind of I feel like that will be. I, I just can't see Tyrell being very prolific there. You know, with a, a quarterback who's been a short passer, Antonio Brown, the alpha there, clearly. Um, I'm glad you mentioned completion percentage over expected, because the other piece I wanted to ask you about is the one you recently did on the incoming rookie quarterbacks. And uh, the headline of that article was the NFL is drafting quarterbacks all wrong. And you sort of filtered this class through completion percentage over expected. So what did... CPOE tell you about this year's rookies? The interesting thing about CPOE when you adjust for conference as well as depth of target is I think it gets at this idea of what's between the ears of the quarterback. And that's one of the hardest things to quantify. It's one of the hardest things for scouts to kind of get at and possibly why the hit rate on quarterbacks has been so poor for so long um, is because it's just hard to get in there and figure out how smart they are, how quick they can, can they throw with anticipation. Um, and then, of course, maybe um, another reason why <laughs> the evaluators have been poor at quarterbacks is maybe they underweight accuracy and think they can teach it in the pros, which is wildly strange to me. And other coaches that should say, hey, look, you know, the guy who can hit the stop sign with a snowball when he's 12 years old, that's the guy who's accurate. That's the guy who's going to be accurate is or you don't. You're not going to suddenly when you're 21, go to the pros, 22, and then get taught how to be accurate. Um, you know, maybe you can fix footwork a little bit. I might be able to tweak some mechanics. But at the end of the day, your hand-eye coordination or whatever it is that helps you be, is there uh, when you're younger. It's a trait that goes with you. And I think CPOE gets to that a little. It certainly gets to accuracy and uh, along with this kind of mental processing. And so uh, when I threw it in a model, uh, it, it did a good job when I back-tested it uh, out of sample uh, of predicting you know, it was about 74% correct on generalized accuracy, which is well, but you know, much better than what the NFL was doing for their top quarterbacks in terms of hit rate. Um, so is it the be all end all? No, it was a simple model and there's probably lots of ways to improve upon it, but I did want to, um, kind of give a proof of con and really kind of underline the idea that, you know, analytics really can help and determine who might be better or worse at the, and for that reason. I- so CPOE sort of validated Kyler Murray but then, whereas the pecking order seems to be uh, the consensus one, it, you know, Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones as two through four, that wasn't necessarily the case when you. Correct. Um, it, it, it actually came out that, uh, and again, the model doesn't include all the variables. It was really just a proof of concept, but it came out that Will Greer, because of his accuracy in college, he came out looking really good. Um, also, he seemed to be pretty good in yards per a significant variable, in the, which was not in the uh, article. But uh, yeah, Will Grill looks good. I think he's probably a second round grade quarterback. Like if you asked me, he's an older prospect. Um, he does have some previous issues, um, but he's matured. He's got a kid and a wife um, and quarterbacks have long careers anyway. I don't know why we would run with a larger sample. Kind of reminds me of baseball where you would draft guys out of college. If Brett a read on who they were as a player, kind of lower uh, variance in those picks seems seems the same way to me uh, for for a guy like 
a guy that you could definitely take. And interestingly enough, and the guys rarely go in this, uh, you want that. Um, so a lot of second round graded talents at the bottom of the, and maybe that's what will happen with Greer, but Haskins was fifth and uh, other guys like Finley and kind of sprinkled throughout the top. The guys that it hated were Drew Locke and Daniel John Johns. I was Jones. I was Daniel, Daniel Jones uh, hates both of them. And uh, the reason why is because of their CPOE. Uh, they both are underexpected, and there hasn't been a player who's come out of college and has been drafted um, that has been an above average starting quarterback in the who had a college CPOE that was negative. So uh, I think I think um, as kind of a filtering mechanism, the metric does a really good job at that. And uh, those are, those are guys I was. Which is interesting because I heard I think it was. Maybe Eric Edholm was on this podcast last. Or, uh, maybe it was someone else saying apparently the NFL teams like Drew Locke a lot more than the mock draft, suggesting that he could be a potential top 10 pick. So that, that will be an interesting test case for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see how that. Well, let's talk about Air Yards for a minute. First of all, I think I neglected to mention in the intro that you're the proprietor of airyards.com. And uh, I didn't realize it was Brian Burke who coined that term. Um, you know, and Evan Silva frequently cites your air yard stuff in his epic weekly matchup columns. So what was it that led you toward air yards as this principal area of research? Was it simply because you found this treasure trove of air yards data or did you have an inkling going into it that air yards would a great deal about players? No, I had no idea. Um, and, and I, you know, if, if there's one thing that I'm proud of. It's that I, I don't take anything for granted. If, if someone says something, I don't care how rudimentary it is. And so when I got my hands on the data, I had already gone through and tested a lot of others, gone over combine data, over market share. I started a fantasy in Rotoviz, and it was a big part of what we did over there at Rotoviz. I found it that great. Um, and, and so things like that, uh, that, 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 that desire to test it, to see it for my, is something I am. So when I got this data, um, I went back and I read what Mike uh, Clay had done with it, and I noted that he had he had kind of collapsed everything into average depths of point estimate. And statistics just means you take an average of everything. And I decided I wanted to spread it out and look, whatever variable I was looking at, I wanted so from negative five yards behind the line of scrimmage all the way to fifty yards past the line of scrimmage, and see what happened to things like completion percentage, to see what happened. To things like yards per target to see what happened to things like fantasy points. Um, and it turned out that fantasy points increase fairly linearly with air yards. So the deeper the target, even with a lower completion percent, um, even though it's caught only say 40% of the time, it's those catches are still worth more than a shorter target. And so that led me to the conclusion that air yards are pretty important. And, um, and, you know, so with that data, I started building found out it was super stable over time. So a receiver who gets a certain number of air yards or a percentage of his team's air yards tends to continue to get that percentage of his team's air yards. And um, and you couple that with targets uh, led to the air yards by low model with DFS. Um, but yeah, it all starts with, it all started with just getting my hand to, to test it and figure out if it were worth anyone. Now, have you run a, a by low filter yet for 2019 are there certain players you're enthusiastic about for the coming year based on air yards i haven't even started no i, I in fact i owe uh, some guys at the af i owe them a model for their area air, air yards so hopefully by the end of this week of i'll have a 
are, are there a couple guys you have to be sort of wary of uh, as far as the air yards stuff? Because a guy like Mike Evans, who an air yards monster, just catches the ball and falls down his receptions. Um, you know, air yards are obviously going to like him. You know, does it, I don't know, does it concern you that Yak can't be, I don't know, factored in with some of these guys? Or- yeah, the thing about Yak is that it's a lot like um, yards per carry. So yak per reception and yards per carry are kind of the same thing. Once you catch the ball, uh, it really is the case that you know, like a catch at, at, at seven yards of depth across the entire league goes for about the same amount. Um, it's rare that a guy gets extremely huge amounts of yak, um, and it's rare that a guy gets... Um, so it, it's not, it's one of those things that isn't stable over time, that doesn't appear to be sticky, that doesn't appear to be owned by a receiver. It is true that Mike Evans doesn't have a lot of yak over his career. Um, uh, I think if we did a full analysis of the route tree he runs, he runs uh, comebacks and go routes and, and things like that, that and, the where, the, and back shoulder fades, kind of uh, routes where once you catch it, um, you're getting tackled. And he's not a guy who's terribly much with speed. He's a bigger, bigger receiver. Um, who kind of bodies people out of the so maybe maybe it's more his profile but in any event he gets a ton of air yards with James Winston um, and I'm still bullish on him I don't really have a I mean I remember going in the beginning of last season everyone said he's going to be garbage right because James was not going to be you know fits magic and then we saw what happened I would expect that to occur again certainly looks like uh, guys like Nuke and uh, Julio and Odell are all going to be but I, I need to run the model I don't have any all right Josh we have to talk about wine uh, so you actually live in a vineyard. Is that correct? No, uh, I used to. Um, so we sold the, the vineyard and winery, uh, back in 2000 and, uh, and I still lived on a, a vineyard for everything burnt down about a year, a little over a year and a half of those fires in Napa and Sonoma and uh, our neighborhood was, um, so it all burnt down. We, we, our house was mercifully saved. We were in one of the only like three, maybe 400 that was standing. And, and so we sold almost even because we knew there were going to be people looking for homes. And, and it seemed like, it seemed like the smart move. My family lived up in Northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene area. Um, if you've never been up there, if you Lake Tahoe, it's kind of like that, just more beautiful. Um, the only drawback is snow. It's not 41 years. And so we moved up here about a year and a half ago and I've loved Love, love the people up here or in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, green, uh, you know, just really nice. Uh, but no, so we don't live on a vineyard anymore. I live on a lake. So growing up in wine country, for kids who do, is it pretty common that you'd be into wine at a fairly young age? Oh, Santa Rosa and Napa. I mean, like Napa's a little more uh, the case, but Santa Rosa's been. And, and so, you know, there was wine everywhere and you said industry, uh, but there was lots of others. So it was just the case. I, I had a path. They're the best in the nation. So I, uh, I enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot and I love making wine, but uh, I don't love being a farmer. And uh, I don't know what uh, really have to say too much. Any farmer will just kind of nod their head. The weather vagaries of the crops, uh, whether or not you're going to make the tonnage you need to pay your bills. It's a lot of it is out of your hands. There's a lot of kind of like, well, how's it going to be this year? Um, and for a guy like me, it's analytically minded and wants to try and kind of influence outcome. A frustrating way. To- I can imagine. So uh, you do own a software company and that is wine related. Is that correct? It is. It is wine industry and food and beverage industry adjacent. Um, basically we make a number of products, but one of them is iPad wine has the wine list on it, our product. 
Um, but it's, uh, I think in general, it's, it, it's much, again, going back to this idea of controlling outcome, I control everything, you know, it's, it's wonderful you software and, and, and you work on it to do, and, uh, that's a lot more stable and than farming. Yeah, no. I've heard you discuss wine elsewhere. And for a guy with the sort of, uh, wine background that you have, you seem to be very much not a wine snob. So you, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who would turn up his nose at any bottle that got less than. 93 points from wine spectator. So, uh, drink what you like. I mean, it's just, uh, so California was put on the map by 1976. They did a blind tasting. It was French wines versus California and they put, but everyone was blind and the experts all declared the California wines French because of their subtlety and richness and depth of character. And when they were revealed, you know, the judgment of Paris, uh, they made movies about it. Um, you know, they were all found to be wrong, you know, and, and, and their palates fooled them. And when you actually were just asked to say hedonistically, what tastes good to me, your palate fooled you, you know, when the, when the, when the bags are removed and when you can taste something with your knowing who it is, where it's from, all these other things influence whether or not you like it, um, whether it's expensive or not, whether it comes from a place you think is interesting or not, all these things add to your perceived enjoyment um, and so wine to me is like art and it's all completely in the eye of the beholder. So just drink what you like, who cares about taste? I mean, pardon me, who cares about price or what someone else thinks about it? Um, you know, if you enjoy it, drink it. Do you have any particular go-to varieties, favorites? I still drink a lot of Pinot, um, but I love Malbec. It's a variety you can get in Argentina and Chile. And so I love, uh, the uh, type of whole Abarino from Spain. It's got tons of character, good acid, spicy food, anything. So yeah, those, those will be the ones. That- now, uh, I promised I'd get back to this. So, uh, your Twitter persona, um, obviously you're a seeker of knowledge and you do all this intense research and then you share your findings with everyone and you make this information totally public and yet you constantly have people coming at you on Twitter. And not only do you seem to have thick skin with that sort of thing, but you're not above chumming the waters from time to time. Uh, would you agree that you deflect most of this stuff pretty well, even if you do relish the occasional good-natured argument? Yeah, I like the arguing. I, I think, uh, so like f- sports doesn't matter. And so uh, the I, I mean, making it matter to me means I can do some analysis that's interesting, that's like the truth of something. So that makes sports a little bit more meaningful to me. But at the same time, the fun part of sports is that you have hot takes, right? Um, I, I don't like hot takes that are just pure opinion. So have some evidence and then have a hot take to go with it. I mean, that's sport. That Stephen A just spouting off and not even knowing what he's talking about. That's not who cares about. It. But like, you know, running backs don't matter. Like that's that's fire. You know, like people get upset over that. Like, you know, they they want to talk about it and they want to challenge you. And and that to me is it's not just me going, this is my opinion, you know. Um, and not like me, cowards say, I don't like it about uh, Mayfield and then the way he acts, like, he just doesn't like his personality. Like, okay, you know, great. So you, you have a take, you have a take on his personality. Wonderful. Like everyone can have that. Um, I would rather have a take that's based on evidence that also gets a little passionate and, and you have one of those uh, epic sports conversations where at the end of the day, everyone can walk away. Cause it does, it's not like politics and so based on what you just said, I think I know the answer to this before I even ask, but I'll ask anyway, which reaction surprised you more? The venom for your 
defense doesn't matter conclusion or the venom for your GoFundMe campaign to pay for play charting data? Man, I'd forgotten about that. Um, the play charting data, I, for some reason. The, the play charting data was wonderful. Like people came together. I raised eight grand in like two days. But but there were people like pissed about it for some reason. Like <laughs> like you were panhandling or something like that. And I mean, it was. I had, it was people, beyond my wildest amount. Some people I know donating hundreds of dollars, and and it's just incredible. I was blown away. It made me feel like everyone was saying thank you for the air yard site or whatever, keeping it free. Like, so that's how I took it um, as kind of like, and also, hey, we want to see what you can do with this. And both of those things are huge confidence. First, trust, then the thank you and the gratitude, and then like kind of confidence. I wouldn't put this. So that was just, that was one of the, the best, best things. I'm, I'm deeply grateful and still uh, hugely humbled by, by the support. And you did tell people that you would share your findings, whatever whatever you got. If they donated, you would email them data and conclusions. It turned out I just shared it all on Twitter, so I never actually did a full email. And uh, yeah, I I did I did I did uh, I shared everything. That's not the case. And I think we I think there are, there are a lot of important findings of it. Probably not the least the the huge importance of and how that dictates the success or, or lack thereof of the run game and how it even influences. I think those threads, at some point I should capture that all on a website, have it all in one. It's definitely the case. Men in the box map about as much as depth of target map. And, uh, finding those kind of linchpins to understanding the game of football is really what gets me excited. All right. I've got to ask you this because, uh, well, because I've just wanted to ask you this. So <laughs> a long time ago, I remember that someone had a smart ass reply to you about something football related on Twitter, like, what do you know, nerd? And uh, if I call, recall correctly, those are the best. Those are my favorite. <laughs> you had some great response about how you played quarterback in high school and married the cheerleader. And uh, I know you're not a braggart by any means, but I would love to hear details about Josh Hermsmeyer's high school. And what I really want to know, Josh, is that you were an option quarterback. Like that would be the, the greatest irony of all. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, uh, uh, like most high school offenses, we were, I, I was really good at handing off the ball. I think I had one game where I threw for my high 250 yards. So just you know, not prolific. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I did end up marrying my uh, college and uh, you know, all that's true. And I still like to make fun of measuring their cocks. Um, you know, I, I, could throw, I could throw the ball pretty far. So that's, that's a lot of, I mean, like what, you know, who cares about me? That, that doesn't make you good at anything. So can Josh Allen. And he's garbage. So, uh, but it's it's it, it is it is funny when when people uh, people assume just because you're you have a facility with numbers, no, you never play the game. Oh, I was so hoping you were going to tell me you ran the wing tee. Dude, that would have been money. No, no, we we ran a pro pro style offense. It wasn't it wasn't anything exotic. It was super. One last thing I have to ask you about, Josh. Uh, your leagues as as active as you are on Twitter, you rarely talk about your own fantasy football leagues, but. Uh, how many are you in and what is the breakdown between home and in? I have two home leagues that I'm still in and a bunch of industry leagues. And they kind of come and go each year, obviously. Three dynasty industry, like a kitchen sink goes, dino league. Um, I'm in that I'm, and a bunch of other guys, uh, Harmon and in a dino league. And then I do Scott Fishbowl every year. But yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I usually win something. Uh, this past year was pretty bad though. Uh, this past year wasn't, wasn't great for me. 
but uh, the year before I won my. So which which do you prefer? Which better suits you, redraft or dynasty? The biggest edge in fantasy football continues to be dynasty startup. People in dynasty leagues tend to want to get those young players, build their team around um, really good veterans in that startup phase for cheap and collect them. And then you can compete year one because they're kind of like, if you go skew heavy, win now, you often can. You could go from like, you could go and make yourself. And so I take advantage of that every chance I can. Well, Josh, uh, I need to let you run. Before you go, can you remind everyone where they can find you? Yeah, so I write at 538 um, and you can find me on Twitter at Frisco Josh. And of course, airyards.com is free and got a ton of wealth of info. Thanks again, Josh. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Pat. Okay, everyone, that is going to do it for this week's show. Let me once again thank my guest, Josh Hermsmeyer of 538. Find him on Twitter at Frisco Josh. I'd also like to thank my producer, Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. He is also the co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime podcast, along with Sean Siegel. You can find that excellent pod over at rotoviz.com. And you can find Calm on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to my colleague, Melissa Jacobs, a.k.a. the football girl. I should mention that Melissa released a special episode of her Football Girl podcast last week. She was in Indianapolis for the Combine, and she talked to NFL Senior Director of Football Development Sam Rapport and ESPN Injury Analyst Stefania Bell. For a special episode, you can find it at thefootballgirl.com, and you can find Melissa on Twitter at thefootballgirl. And I would like to thank all of you again for being here with me this week it's always great to have you aboard and hopefully you will be back with me again next week when i'll be joined by another great guest and we will talk a little bit more about nfl free agency and there is a lot to talk about until then my friends via con dios Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you?